Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Welcome to the Readier Room, the only and longest-running Star Trek Next Generation Rewatch podcast. Every week we're coming at you live, pre-recorded, with on-the-set stories and hidden lore for you to enjoy. My name is Mitchell Mellis, Chief Consultant of Services at Paramount, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs. How are we today, Brandon? Wonderful, Mitch. Wonderful? wonderful. Well, I'm Tudorful. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> What's got you so wonderful? Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about the explosions and the gore and um, the uh, the laser fights. Yes, it's a hell of an episode to the, this week. Right, it's not it's not a, a saw movie. It's an episode of Star Trek: Next Generation. Kind of wild. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, wild yeah. when you think about it. Um. I'm also very excited to get to today's episode. Um, so I got to blow through this question of the week from some nobody first, and then uh, then we can talk about it. God, what a loser. What a loser. So this week's question comes from Jorm. Jorm? Jorm in Sweden? Um, not quite sure how that's pronounced. Um, Jorm says, I'm an, ins- I'm an aspiring actor in Sweden. Which is kind of a shitty place to aspire to act, but, you know, whatever. He didn't say that. I editorialized that. Um, back to his words. All my life, I've wanted to act in high-budget science fiction shows like Star Trek. What advice can you give to someone like me? Eternally readier, Yorm, Jorm, or whatever. Um, oof. Oof. So, it's... Th- these kind of questions are always a little disheartening to hear. Um, that people have set their aim, their sights the bar in life that they've set it so low um star trek any star trek especially to the next generation but really any of them have always been like a dumping grounds or maybe a training grounds um mm-hmm. for low level or beginning actors to you know get some work and get some experience but also not you know it's, it doesn't matter if they give a bad performance because at star trek will just take anything right um, I mean, look at the next generation. How many of those actors were just terrible? Oh like, yeah, absolutely. It was everybody but Patrick Stewart, I guess, and even he was like. Mm. <laughs> so I, my advice to you is to not have this dream. Is to change your dream. I mean, I'm sure Sweden needs like dentists, probably, or or social yeah, workers. Yeah. Don't. Basically anything but but this. Right. I think. Garbage man. <laughs> yeah, garbage man, that's a good one. Um school board of education member. Anything you want to do. Florist. Florist. Now that can either be somebody who works with flowers or on floors. Both of them are very, right, very right. necessary. Um so even in Sweden, you know, meatball chef. Anything. Anything. Oh wow! Well, there's probably no shortage of those. That's true. That's true. That's all they. That's all they eat over there. After all, that is. That is. I believe that's what Swedish children aspire to be, just generally speaking. Right. Right. Either that, or um, you know, cast members of 
low budget, low quality science fiction shows. Right. So, yeah, change your dream. God, don't go through with this. There's some success yeah. stories coming out of track, like Patrick Stewart went on to be in X-Men and Frakes went on to be in Beyond Belief, but they're few and far between. For every one of those, you have, like, you know, what the hell is Gates McFadden doing these days? What is... Well, I mean, even look at even look at LeVar, who was fresh off a of Reading Rainbow, one of the best shows of all time, and then he then he starts Trek, and it's like, oh, oh man. But... It's just, it was all downhill. Right. Well, Trek, you get known as the Trek guy, and once you're known as Trek, nobody in the industry will touch you, barring some right. like, incredible star right. power. So well, it's embarrassing. It is. You know? You having, can't... Having a Trek cast member on your show... You can't, yeah, you can't divorce the two. It's the implications of that. It's like, oh, my right. my production has so low, such a low budget that I could only hire this, or no, but no good actors auditioned for, you know, this this role, so I needed to hire a Trek guy. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's like, um, then you have to worry about who the audience for your show is going to be, you know. Right. Are Trek fans going to migrate over to my show is, is a question that uh, a lot of producers ask, and um, you never want that. Because that, it, it taints that the image. Want. Mm -hmm. <coughs> well, because what, what, what ends up happening is, you know, before you know it, um, a wiki is made for your show. Um, uh -huh. uh, you know, detailing the, the in-universe world as if it were a real thing. Um, people start sending you nasty letters about your canon. People you know. start cosplaying and practicing fictional languages. Right. Yeah. So really, it's it's just um, it's it's a net negative for any show. Yeah. Luckily, that's only for the the camera facing cast. If you're on the production side of things behind the camera, you're fine. Oh yeah, yeah. But, that's very true. There's that solidarity in the 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 crew where everybody mm -hmm. kind of knows that. This is all a joke. You know, I, I'm, right. I'm just doing this for my paycheck. I don't really need to... I don't respect this, and I don't need to. So Right, right. And, and um, I mean, at least at least I can say for us is, uh, you know, <laughs> we never had to do the convention circuit. Thank God. <laughs> oh, could you imagine just, you know, sitting at a booth telling people it's, it's $5 for a signature, and then nobody coming up to you because they don't think you're <laughs> worth it? <laughs> right, right. We call right. that the or, uh, we call that the Dorn life. <laughs> oh, poor Mike, poor Mike. And, and you know, it's uh, it, it's it's the having to answer, um, you know, stupid questions as well, which yes. I, I guess we get our fair share on this show. That's true. But, like this week. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, but you know, being up on stage and having to face a room full of these people, I think, is kind of a different, um, different sort of situation, right? Well, yeah, because you always need to have a certain amount of false enthusiasm. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when somebody comes up and asks you, like, "Oh, what was it like working with the Ferengi Generation Two costumes?" And you, you right. know, you you forgot what the hell a Ferengi was thirty years ago, and you're just like, right, "Oh right. yeah, that yeah, that's a good question." <laughs> <laughs> Let alone the costumes that were probably sold off on eBay to some nerd in in uh, Germany or something. Well, the the guy who bought that comes dressed in the costume to ask about it. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
And then he do the grand reveal, and it's like, oh, I have that cost right here. And right. you know, you you can't just like tell them to fuck off because you know they pay you to attend these things, and you're yep. just like, wow, you must be a big fan. If if there's one thing I've noticed, it's that nerds love to do the bait and switch. They do. They, they try to catch you on these things. They do. It's because it, um, if they can, if they know more about the show than somebody mm-hmm. who worked on it. Um, mm-hmm. that's the source of all their joy in life. Right, right, definitely. Um, and, you know, to us, it's, uh, of course, of course we love it. We love TNG. We love our time on it, but, um. We also hate it. Know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to a degree, to a degree. I guess the point was that we were paid for it and you are not. Yes. And, um, that, you must always remember that fact when appraising the situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. do you think that we're doing this podcast free? I don't think so. Right, right. Oh, speaking of which, Patreon. Patreon, please uh, subscribe to our patreon.com slash the radio yep. room. Um, mm-hmm. If you join the, the $95 a month tier, um, you get a nice little postcard in the mail written by our secretary. And um, I hope you can enjoy that. So, well, that was a great question, Yorm. Um, Please write back once you found a new dream in life, and maybe we'll give you some advice on that one, too. Um, if you are like Yorm and you have a great question you want us to answer on the show, you can email us at theReadyerroom at gmail.com, um, DM us on Twitter at theReadyerroom, and always preference is given to our Patreon patrons. So if uh, your question's not getting through, consider subscribing to the Patreon, and then it just might. All right. So... I feel like we kind of have a lot to talk about this week with this week's episode. Really? Really? Well, I, uh, I feel like we don't have that much to talk about. Well, but... maybe we'll meet in the middle and have an average amount of things to talk about. <laughs> we'll meet in the middle and have an hour-long episode. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so, Conspiracy is, uh, is the name of this week's episode. And it's it's unique in that this episode was foreshadowed um earlier yes. in the season which yes there is no inter episode continuity i believe um mm-hmm. other than um yar dying i suppose but that's not like a plot thread that's just <laughs> that was just a happy accident yeah um <laughs> so it was cool to see the, the characters from the last episode remick and the admiral show up again and, um, it was very cool. It made the made the whole universe feel, you know, a little bit bigger. Mm. Um, I I feel like it was kind of playing around with, you know, go, going forward with the next generation. Seasons tend to end on two parters, you know. Um, yeah. We, we we tend to get like a big conflict at the end. I feel like this was starting to play with that idea. It where, was. I mean, it wasn't a two parter, but it it easily could have been a two parter had they, you know move the episodes closer to each other in broadcast order. Yeah, and we don't get that two-part cliffhanger between seasons one and two, but I believe we do in seasons two and three. Or maybe it's three and four. But you're right, it, it does. It's the, the earliest incarnation of that idea. And um, <clears throat> I like it, but the th- the biggest... Not the biggest, but the the most immediate thing that jumps out to me is that when you make this first... Um, story that branches between two episodes, 
it feels a lot bigger. And because it feels a lot bigger, it feels like it should be the season finale, except it's the penultimate right. episode. Right, 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 which which does feel a little weird. I mean, and we will get into uh, exactly how this episode kind of kind of leaves us, which is also weird, considering that it's not the the final episode of the season. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, I suppose. Yes. Um, to talk broadly about this episode, I liked it. Um, I think that I guess I would describe it as having pacing issues, but mm-hmm. I did like it overall. Yeah. Um, I think the episode is decidedly not track in its presentation. Hmm. It was interesting. And um, I actually enjoyed it more than I did, you know, 20 years ago watching this. Um, I felt like it... 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Time is a flat circle, Mitch. Time is a flat circle. Um, What was I saying? So I feel like um, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit jarring. In in its presentation, but watching it again now, it doesn't feel like it entirely um, kind of doesn't fit, you know, with with the rest of the season or with Trek as a whole. It's just uh, a little bit of a change of pace, I guess. Yeah, Which it's it's good that we we didn't really continue <laughs> down this lane, but it's nice to have. I don't think it's. Um jarringly different or anything in in any aspect except maybe the effects used um it fits pretty well enough into this first season um there's exactly one moment where i felt surprised and thought this is trek right but it's right. it was like a three second shot and uh mm-hmm. aside from that if it, it it didn't rub me the wrong way or anything it, and the elements that were different we're different in a in a good way, um. So I really have no complaints about any of that. It's so. Here's the thing. I think that typically, Star Trek and feelings of paranoia go very well together. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, Star Trek is at its best when it's more um, human drama, emotional drama. Um, yeah sensibly i should say not melodrama but when you have a smartly written scene of uh paranoia especially with the science fiction bent to it um it's a great excuse to have all these character moments and smaller moments uh that yeah are trek strengths and you know sometimes it's followed up by a stupid phaser fight and you know you can't really do anything <laughs> about that <laughs> um i i absolutely agree with that i think this episode um really started off strong i mean not with not with the the dumb fish out of water jokes no Um, no those were terrible (laughs) i didn't hate that scene so much it was a better incarnation of of what we've gotten so many times over this season i think yeah but it's like why why are we sharpening this tool like why why do we keep coming back to this well? <laughs> right. Well, not only do we come back to it at the beginning of this episode, we come back to it, you know, maybe 15 20 minutes later with the computer 
with the computer, which I guess we should just talk about it. Yeah, that that now. was I. That's in the running for the worst Trek moment of all time. Honestly, it is. So so the the computer, um, I have this in my notes says please repeat request like it's an Alexa. Right. Um, which I I found offensive, just to begin with. And then, um, then it seems to go on to possess sentience as it, as it talks to data. So it's kind of like, which is it? Is it, is it a computer that is, a, you know, entirely utilitarian or does it have a consciousness? Well, there's that, that inconsistency, but also the fact that it, the way it present, it shows sentience is by shutting data down when he rambles the same way that right. every other member of the cast does. <laughs> And it's like, it's at this point that it occurred to me that it's like, they wanted this to be a running joke. like Right. Yes, yes. It, exactly. That is exactly my thought as well. It only occurred to me then that, oh, this is where it all culminates mm. for this dumb little slapstick joke. It's, it, and it's so dumb. <laughs> it, like, imagine a moment ago where I'm like, yeah, the the best part of the series are the intense feelings of paranoia and those dark moments. And then like two minutes later, we're talking about this terrible, terrible joke that makes no logical sense. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very bad. And I'm going to be interested to see once we get into season two, how much of this carries over. You got to keep your eye on the ball because I do not, I don't recall you know, across all of the good Star Trek episodes that everyone talks about, I don't recall there ever being a scene like this where they tell Data to shut up. Right. They have, like, Data jokes. Right. But they also take Data's um, misunderstandings in a more philosophical way. Yeah. Um, where he's just actually learning something. And, you know, maybe the, through the, the portal of that learning you know, there's a new perspective or something. It doesn't always work, but it's played a little right. more straight. And um, with this, Data doesn't actually learn anything. It's, he's not increasing his understanding of humanity or uh, customs. He's just rambling. He's He says this like the same thing over and over again. People tell him, okay, got it, Data. Thank you. And yeah, no, it's just, uh, it's a low-hanging fruit. And for a show that kind of espouses this ideal of all beings being equal right um the android seems to get a lot of flack yeah the i mentioned this scene before several weeks ago several episodes ago uh, it's the one where data is like staring at a kettle and measuring when it boils right and um the way that scene plays out like no nobody's like oh data he doesn't actually make it boil longer um, right, right. They don't like smirk directly at the camera. Right. He's like, oh, I'm. Because uh, data, what he's he's measuring there is his perception of the time, and he's like, oh, you know, right. Hum humans perceive time differently than I, and it's you know, it's just written a little more smart, smartly than uh, anything in season one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I guess I guess we've kind of beaten this horse a yeah, lot. Yeah. Well, they've made this joke a lot. Right, they just keep bringing it up. It's so hard to, to not talk about, because in this episode especially, it was just so offensive. Just everything about that scene was so bad. However, um, when the, the episode actually does start to get going, uh, when Picard views the 
the message right from from his friend there the admiral right mm. um i thought that was a, a very compelling introduction to the episode yeah i wanted to know more uh dennis mccarthy's score was great super fitting and um yeah mccarthyism I mean, really improved this episode it did it did um yeah we don't joke about that bitch oh, i'm sorry sorry um but I agree yeah, with I mean, you. The, the episode delivered on all that too, which is nice. That first third, half maybe, of it was um, consistently incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that introduction to it. I really liked the scene down on the Red Planet and the mining facility. Um, right, right. The destruction of the the Horatio afterwards mm-hmm. was also. Uh, like an interesting story beat and one that was like fully explained and paid off later on which yeah yeah and and not only that but kind of i didn't see it coming really yeah it's it was a, a lot of good writing i think that the moment it shows a little bit of uh pacing issues is when um the admiral from the last episode he's gonna come onto the ship and uh, up until this point, when and Picard's calling the uh, the board of three admirals down on the planet, you know, you're feeling, all right, who's a good guy? Who's a bad guy? I don't really know. And um, you, you're like, oh, I can probably trust this guy because he was the one that was alerting Picard of the problem earlier. But then it just instantly cuts to him with this weird um, alien parasite. And you're like, okay, well, yeah. I guess I guess he's a bad guy. Because right. it was comedic in a way. In my notes, I wrote like, "Oh, I, I love the sense of paranoia in this episode," <laughs> and then it cuts to that, and I'm like, "Well, I, I guess, I guess that's gone." Right. You you have it like an unambiguous, I would say, ten minutes of walking around the ship, um, knowing something bad is going to happen, and then watching an old man comically fight um, Frakes. Um, Who's, who's stunt double you can see very clearly in the finished episode as well it's <laughs> i didn't realize that um it's it's a really funny scene it's like because you know when you have an old man actor you can't ask them to do um very intricate stunts or move very quickly at all or even stand up for all that long of a time and right. um we tried to use this to our advantage. I don't know if you've ever watched the original series or if you're aware of this. <laughs> no. What, am I, what do I look like to you, Mitch? Right. Well, I've seen some clips on YouTube that my children have showed me, but they're like, Dad, you really worked for this show? And I'm like, no, not that show. The other one. It was also bad, but the other <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> <laughs> not that old loser one. Are you kidding me? Um. Anyway, there's this scene where Kirk, who's played by William Shatner, who's an actor, um, is fighting this um, lizard thing. It's like a guy in a bad lizard costume, and I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't know if like the lizard costume guy like couldn't see or if it didn't have a lot of mobility, but he can barely move around. He's moving very slowly, and um, Shatner is. It's supposed to be an even fight, so he's also acting in a very slow fight. It's a very awkward fight scene, and um, it kind of became infamous because of how ridiculous it was. So we're like, oh, okay, well, we have all these constraints placed on us by the actors in this fight scene. Why don't we play that up and try to make it this homage to that old one? 
Um, Now, that scene had a very memorable score to it, which we couldn't get the rights to, unfortunately. And without the music, parts of the uh, the reference were lost that some people just didn't get it. And they're like, oh, you know, this this is stupid. Why is Frakes fighting an old man? All this stuff. Right. Um, right. But once you know the intent behind it, if you go back and watch it again, and if you if you haven't, go watch that original scene, you'll see the similarities to them. Like, a lot of the, the moves that they do, the fighting moves, are the same. Um, it's it's really quite quite a love letter that was held back by, by legal constraints. That's super interesting, Mitch. I had no idea. And right. um, to be honest, it, it, it fell flat for me, but... Um... I'll go back. You know what I'll do? I'll go back and I'll I'll load up the music mm. in, and in in the original episode and just kind of play them right next to each other. It, it's almost a shot for shot remake of the fight, huh? Wow. Yeah. And see, you know, had that kind of gone over a little bit differently, this this episode might be remembered more fondly. You know how uh, how is this episode yeah, remembered? Maybe maybe we should have had the aliens turn turn them into lizard people you know ah. when they got infected that could have been something yeah but that's a lot of costumes right right yeah our, our budget had been kind of hurting for a while well we could have reused after all of the expenses we could have reused those lizard costumes from that episode with the lizard and the dog people yeah no but you remember by then they kind of melted oh right and they they smelled weird too so well, everything on the set smelled weird. <laughs> well, Denise was gone, so it's it's true. But you know, you got to deep clean stuff to get it out. <laughs> um, yeah, it it was it was a a weird scene, and I guess it was just kind of to give everyone else something to do. I have in my notes that Crusher was hot in that scene when she comes in with a phaser. Yeah, she's got like one hand in her pocket. Right. Yeah. Who knows what she's doing in there? Right. Right. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was. I was really into that. I question the the in-universe purpose of that scene. So the admiral boards the ship. Um, with this parasite, with the intent on giving it to Crusher. Which I also don't quite get, but sure. Um, I guess because she's the one who would be investigating this. So, mm-hmm. okay. All right, I get that. But when he's alone with Riker, unprovoked, he takes the opportunity to attack Riker. And right. under what goal, I'm not quite sure. But he knocks him out. He knocks out Riker. And he does not take the chance to um, make Riker into one of those... In- into the parasite guy. So, mm-hmm. at that point, why even attack him? Uh, well, why? Riker was not threatening the guy. He Riker didn't let on that he was suspicious either. Well, maybe the aliens just really smart. They did say as much. Right. And and if they told us that, then we have no choice but to believe it. Mm. So, I I found that strange and you're right, giving people something to do sounds like a big motivation for a lot of this. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really all it is. Needed to fill some time. Needed to give the other cast members something to do. It do- that's, that's really it. It does um, set up the conclusion where 
by leaving out a lot of information where Riker is yeah suspected yeah. by the audience of being a parasite guy mm-hmm. and let's talk about this horror movie shot um I don't know if you know what I'm referring to, but um there's well, go, go ahead yeah. where Riker is. I'm sorry, Crusher's talking to Picard through the, the communicator. She's in sickbay, and Picard's down on the planet in the midst of the enemy. And then he's like, oh, I gotta go. I gotta go eat these bugs. And um, then it cuts back to Crusher, and then Riker like comes up from behind and puts his hand on her shoulder. There's like a musical sting, oh, that's right. yes. and then it cuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was very... It was fine. I don't mind the sh- that, that shot, or that edit, but... It was very, very horror movie in its style. It was. It was horror movie, and um, I don't know. It, it felt a little bit random. It did. Because the all of the tension is immediately expelled within like 0. 0.5 seconds. I, th- uh, I also think that the timing of it wasn't quite perfect. Where <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. like lingered a fraction of a second too long, where if you want like that kind of like jump scare feel almost, right. you, you uh, right. cut it. Just, just a hair faster, frames faster. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we had a lot of horror stuff in this, really. I mean, a lot of body horror, a lot of gross kind of scenes. Yeah. Um, where to even begin? Which, I know it's. Uh, it is obviously what makes this episode particularly interesting, uh, not only because of the content, but because of the. Um, you know the props and the effects that were used, the makeup that was used. It's it was all pretty top notch, I think. It was like the um, the little tendrils coming out of people's necks. Those looked pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. the climax with uh, that that entity was was right. Probably the best effects in the series so far. Right, right. Um, yeah, where to even begin? So, I guess most of this really starts out when uh when picard gets down to the federation building which i have to say i also really like that set yes i do too i liked the it's... little insignia uh plastered plastered around in like subtle places um yeah it's, it's got this kind of like combination of i guess like sterility but also sort of like a regal look to it right which that is... really meshes well as like a futuristic set it's what you would expect of a an official um, base, I suppose, of, of right. you know the the top brass, right? It doesn't have the the grunginess of of a more you know infantry infantry focused location, but it's mm-hmm. uh yeah, it's 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 quite good. Right, right, and I mean, I guess it's kind of really just an extension of the design philosophy of the the Enterprise's bridge. Uh, which I also love. So, I mean, if you love one, you love the other. Do you think so? I don't get the same vibe from the two of those. Do you not? I think you're just being contrarian. <laughs> I would never, first of all. <laughs> no, I think I think the Enterprise D and, and the, the, the Federation building both kind of have the same sort of look to them. Oh, the Enterprise the D. Yeah. What were uh, you thinking of the C? <laughs> Sorry, I can't I even see. can't even get that I out. See. I see. Ooh. Uh-huh. I see. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, um, 
all all this horror stuff really starts to to come to a head once Picard goes down and um and the admirals invite him to dinner. Right, where which... they 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 have their latest my boom, which is a bunch of mealworms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you expect it to be um you know, like wine, maybe some nondescript meat and vegetables or something, whatever people eat in Star Trek. Well, they don't eat meat. Right, right. It's it's fake meat. It's it's be, they they would have a plate of Beyond Meat. Right, and um, you, you know, would think that no real attention would be called to kind of the dressing of the scene, being you know that being the food and stuff. Um, however, no, we're treated to uh, mealworms in a bowl. Right, live live mealworms, which wiggling is around. horribly um, kind of unfitting, I think for a scene in star trek and um you know well there's a reason for that um so the 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 mealworms were the brainchild of uh, of ray um mm. you know the the head admiral uh in this episode um because he just come back from this retreat in indonesia or something before filming and um he'd go on and on about the disgusting culinary habits of and and i'm, I'm using his words of course the disgusting culinary habits of the uh, the quote lesser Asians, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so he he thought this scene would offer some like, some kind of shock value, right, to the audience. And yeah, I mean, I guess it did. Um, but, but even worse, and I think I can speak for you and the rest of the crew when I say that we were all just completely dismayed when he unscrewed the top of that jar and um, you know, with that trademark shit-eating grin of his, his, he just, like, starts scooping the worms into his mouth, right? Yeah, I don't with know... With his bare hands. I don't know if this was his way of of pulling a prank, his style of method acting, or just his mm-hmm. way of getting a free lunch. Right. <laughs> and, you know, we'll, we'll never truly know, um, because this was just so psychotic, he was completely dropped from ever being in another episode again. But um, Gary and Henry you know, to the right of him in that scene, God bless him. They thought they were fakes, the mealworms. They thought they were fakes, and they, they just went along with it, um, you know. And Patrick is just sitting there with that look of disgust on his face, and it's completely genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think we all kind of were making that face at the same time. Um, if but you, the good news is it only took one take. If you listen closely, when he, when he first starts eating the worms, you can faintly hear... Um, one of the crew offset to say, "Oh my god," and we we, tr- we tried to mix it out best we could, but there's still right, a right. faint trace of it there. You may have to use headphones, mm. but yeah, it's it's there. Um, yeah, the mealworm scene is just to me feels extremely try hard. I don't you think? I I'm of two minds on it. I think that going and including the shots of them eating them is a little bit unnecessary a little bit just like gross out horror but i i do i do like that style of reveal um where up until then you know you suspect things and picard suspects things but it's it's not quite laid out on the table just yet and um having that be the moment where it it you know tips over the edge I, i thought was a good choice and, I think you're right about that, yeah. And I did like, there's that moment where the question's hanging in the air, where is Picard going to also eat these as an attempt to, to blend in with <laughs> with them? 
which right, which right. I thought was like also unsettling enough in in sure. a in a satisfying way. Now I could deal without just like they're eating the worms. Oh my god. <laughs> but I do think that the idea to use mealworms had some value to it. The thing is to me it raises so many questions. Like how long have these parasites had a taste for mealworms? Um, where where are they sourcing them? Have they been on Earth long enough to have found mealworms and eaten them and said, "Hey, we love these. You know, let's let's get a big barrel of them for for the Federation building, right?" Mm. Um, and maybe that just bothers me more than it does you. Yeah, it does. It does. I. Now, part of me is thinking, like, all right, I know the size of these parasites. How would they have developed... How would they eat these mealworms, which are, like, you know, an eighth of their body size? Right. It's interesting. But... Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not really... Uh, I, I think it would have been better had we used, um, you know, some kind of generic alien slug-type prop or something. Yeah, but part of what works about using the mealworms is that they're identifiable. They're instantly identifiable. And... Eh. Eh. That's what I don't like about them, though. That's the that's the problem for me. The, the more you spend as the audience thinking about, like, what are these things, the less effective the scene is, I, I believe. Sure, sure. I just, I wasn't really there for the, the shock horror of it. Um, but I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on that scene i think you're correct that the 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 way it kind of um confirms your suspicions is very good and written very well but yeah i'm just not a big fan of the mealworms Mm. so you you wouldn't eat Uh, the mealworms i actually have eaten mealworms before Ah, as a meal Mm -hmm. no ironically not no as a snack they they were more like snack worms Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. See, I've only eaten yeah. gummy worms. Right. Also tapeworms right. when I wanted to lose weight, but... Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a great strategy, actually. Hmm. The mealworms are surprisingly good, honestly. Uh, you know. I know. In the future, when, when we are eating the bugs, uh, those are going to be considered, I think, kind of the chicken... Ah, you know what I mean. They're the other white meat, right? Right, the other other white meat, if you will. I will. I will. Yeah. So, uh, we go from there to um, we have to talk about Riker's faint, where he brings the worms up to his mouth and then very awkwardly just pulls out his gun. Um, so awkwardly, in fact, that he didn't even need to faint. The eating of the bugs because um, it was obvious either way that he was pulling out a gun. Mm. Right. It's uh, it was kind of the same thing with the scene with him fighting the admiral, where the physical acting is just so stilted, slow, and awkward. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you can shoot these things in such a way to um not to to hide that right, not emphasize it. Right, but unfortunately, neither side really, really nailed it on that one. So it's like, all right. Yeah, in in this particular scene, editing really dropped the ball for sure. Um, 
the, the, the time it takes Riker to raise his gun really bothered me for some reason. At least, at least, Frakes didn't have to eat the worms. That's true. That's true. We we had already kind of resolved that issue by the time we shot that scene. Um, and then we okay. So who who gets killed here? Do people get killed or do they just extract the parasites? Um, I believe what happens is one person gets killed, and because that person was holding the host, all the other parasites just die. Really? Be because Crusher says you have to set your phaser to kill, however, which she does with the Admiral. Um, the Admiral is said to make a full recovery. So when uh, they're using their phasers on everybody in that building, none of them are dying. Oh, okay. Okay. Sure. Except the one guy who we set up to be a big meanie. <laughs> he can die. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, the return of Remick, huh? Based Remick. Um, and he gets to host two parasites, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Um, because the, the queen kind of crawls out of the admiral and goes to him um, in, a, in a stunning uh, display of stop-motion animation. Right. Now, I don't... We might have to explain what stop-motion animation is for some of the people at oh, home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's Be do that. Because it sounds like an oxymoron to have stop and motion, which mm -hmm. I kind of get. Um, so stop motion animation is when you you take a picture of something, and that will act as one frame of your final animation. Then you rearrange whatever you're taking a picture of, and you take a second picture, and that's the next frame. And you do this process over and over until you have an entire animation by stitching all those frames together. Uh, it's a very difficult, painstaking process, and you need to have very subtle movements between each frame, otherwise it won't look right. So if anything can throw it off, and you kind of have to start all over. And mm -hmm. um, that's, of course, what happened on the set. Frakes knew that well, and uh, he thought it would be a fun little prank to come up on the stop-motion artists and kind of move their uh, props around while they were while their back was turned basically <laughs> and you know they'd find out and they'd question it and frakes would be like whoops and just you know nonchalantly walk away until an hour later where he'd come back to do it again yep, yep ba basically yep. doubled the entire length of the shoot oh yeah yeah that was hell i mean even young blood got in on it i they were hanging out together those two yeah yeah um you know as as they were both Riker, of course right um you you are on on the set of of TNG. You were it was kind of like a like a big brother little brother system um, that was imposed upon the cast where they were expected to spend a certain quota of time with their stunt double. Right. Um, the, to just, get you know to to kind of like right like line up their mannerisms and stuff exactly like that. exactly. Um. So you know you you, you would have um. You you would have like Doran taking his his stunt double out for ice cream or McDonald's or stuff like that. You know, just kind of hanging out. Uh, I remember and, uh, Denise and and her um, stunt double would hang out like under the bridge where her stunt double lived. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. We didn't even talk about that, but yes, with um, having having gotten rid of Denise. We were then finally able to to free ourselves from from that particular stunt double, um, who I will not name. No, no. But everybody falls uh, on hard times, so yeah. You want to hang around on set like eight hours extra just to have some food to eat. Like I get it. Not happy about yeah. it, but I get it. Right, right. It's it's kind of 
it is what it is. Mm. Um, but unfortunately for Youngblood, his his uh, his big brother was Frakes. So I wish my big brother was Frakes. Yeah, I mean he's he does have that big brother energy, you know. Right, and he he becomes a bigger brother later on in the series. A much bigger brother. <laughs> um, yeah, so I uh, I really enjoyed that stop motion. As did I. As did I. Um, cool. It it goes a long way in in making the alien parasites seem even weirder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's had it been done with you know what would be CG these days, I don't think it would be nearly as um is interesting to look at nor as creepy no for sure for sure it, it it hits that uncanny valley just right i think all stop really motion does, does in a, in a mm-hmm. sense um yeah oh yeah yeah that's that's definitely true um and then all that stop motion culminates in an insane effect probably one of the easily one of the craziest scenes in the entire show um and why it's so remembered i think is I mean, there's so many aspects to the scene, right? You you have the stop motion, um, and then it it crawls up to um, to Remick's shoulder, and he turns to it and opens his mouth, and it goes in. I mean, God, you remember how many takes it took to get that thing down Robert's throat? Right, because you can't. He had to be perfectly still for the entire mm-hmm. thing with the stop motion, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, he just kept gagging on it and it... yeah yeah like so we we had we had a guy obviously kind of just outside the frame pushing it down his throat and um you know we picked the character of remick to be in the scene precisely because we thought robert would be you know very good at, at getting this down his throat in one take right right uh, <laughs> but that that was not the case like you said he he kept gagging on it um well before it was even halfway down his throat and and we we had take after take of um, the the cleanup crew having to come in and just wipe off the you know the blood puke and tears from not only the set but from Robert himself. I think um, it, I think it was Lavar who took him aside and gave him some advice on how to get it down his throat. Was that who it was? I believe so. Well, someone definitely had an effect because at some point, um, you know, we were making no headway, and then he finally got it, went right down his throat, and um, it, reportedly he didn't even have any problems with it coming out the other end the next day. Uh, so, you know, at least he was good at something. Right, which is amazing because of all the sharp edges on it. I know, I know. Good for him. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so it, it goes down his throat and... Uh, then we have the effect of his of his throat, his neck, kind of like bulging. Oh, yeah, you know, that was the, uh, that was, that was the, the, the prop director blowing into some kind of device that was... Um, like the, the the prop itself was obviously wrapped around Robert's neck, and he was blowing into it to kind of simulate it bulging out. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it looks great. Yeah, yeah. It did look good. It did look good. That took another God knows how many takes. Yeah, he was pretty lightheaded but, by the end of it. All the blowing. Absolutely, he absolutely was. But um, really, all of this is a preamble to the final effects shot <laughs> where and, and there's two of them one of them is the yeah. the explosion of of remick's head and we didn't really use his head to explode we used the prop um right but it's just something that a lot of people miss right right they always reply with fan mail like oh r.i.p um this actor I forget his name right might as right. well be dead 
And uh, no, no, we didn't kill. But yeah, it's amazing because there's like a one, two second shot of the head exploding. And you're like, wow, what? Is, am I watching Star Trek? It's right, right. amazing. The face melts off. Yeah, because they're firing their phasers at it. Mm-hmm. Um, which they had done the whole episode to no effect. But now, now he's done. <laughs> now it works. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's extremely grotesque. It is. And um, it's shocking to think that this was on primetime television. Yeah, I mean, it... Um... There was a lot of back and forth in in production about whether we should air it like this. Luckily, um, we did. Obviously, luckily we did. Yes, yeah. so it, it came out like just the the absolute shock of seeing this scene for the first time on TV. Uh, just <laughs> there's really nothing else you can compare it to in this show. A lot of parents wrote in like, "Oh, you know, you gave my child nightmares. You know, mm-hmm. why, how dare you?" And, you know, we, we, we tasked some intern on replying back, like, good, they shouldn't be watching Star Trek. Have them play baseball or something. Right, yeah. yeah. Anything. Not Trek. Damn. Which um, says a lot, because the kids who stuck with it and became the weird ones ultimately makes a lot of sense. You know? When they're like, oh, yeah, I, I see this guy's head exploding. I, this is what I right. want to watch is my nine-year-old right. self. And it's like, oh, what, right. do you, what do you mean this kid be, grew up and became a shut-in weirdo? Like, wow, right, who, who right. would have thought? And then, yeah, before you know it, you're kind of just like do, doing doing the convention tour just to see a glimpse of, of this actor or that actor from um, your dumb little science fiction show from 30 years ago. Exactly. But anyway, um, yeah, so his head explodes, and then the alien comes out of it. Right, it's not even which, the final effect. <laughs> which, the, the, the mother alien, the mother parasite, was very cool looking as well. I love right. it. It's it like very uh, Predator-esque slash alien xenomorph-esque, right? It's, it's sitting there in his exposed chest cavity, like his exploded <laughs> corpse. It's so disgusting. Right, you, you're like, alright, this guy's head exploded, that's it, right? No, there's more. And, Mind you, this thing is fucking wailing in pain, just screaming as it gets shot with this this phaser fire. Right, and the Federation um, officers, of course, in their usual form, they're like, fucking kill it! Kill it! <laughs> <laughs> just an overall extremely painful scene for everyone involved. Oh, man. Um, it's kind of yeah. awesome, though. It, it was. It was. I, I remember the first time I actually saw it, I, I couldn't help but laugh out loud just because of how surprised I was. Right. It's, it is shocking in a number mm-hmm. of ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, it truly is. But it's, it's good. It's, it's good. So I, the ending right there, and you know, hold on, before that, when they go into the room to confront Remick and he like swivels around in some mm-hmm. uh, space chair while he's like managing a map of the galaxy... It's also right. wonderfully ridiculous, where it's like a James Bond villain just in his lair. <laughs> but it's Remick. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Although I guess it does kind of work a little bit better than we're giving it credit for, given that we've spent the entire episode dealing with this sort of paranoia that you've been talking about. So, you know, anyone could really be anyone at this point, right? Right. And, um, but it is funny to see Remick in that chair. It is. I, normally, I, I think a lot of the action stuff's pretty hokey, and it is. Mm-hmm. But I do like this um, more kinetic, cathartic payoff for the the emotional for sure. paranoia. 
if you yes. ex- if you excised that like middle part of the episode with the admiral on the enterprise i think this episode would be like a nine or, or a ten like it'd be really good mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. with that it's still good but it, it it suffers and it's more like a seven or an eight but yeah but yeah. overall just a pretty strong episode i think yeah i mean so on its own just as as a piece of media you know out there in the world um it's great yeah like the production's great everything about it is interesting and fun and well done and i think you know a lot of people's enjoyment of the episode does kind of hinge on you know is it star trek who cares you know yeah i guess i guess that was kind of where i was going with it is yeah who really does care i i've definitely come around on it this time more than more than any um it was just so much fun so i would say it's definitely up there in terms of season one episodes and actually it kind of stands on its own you know compared to the rest of the series as well it does not going to get anything like this again and it's done so well that's the thing Um, when you when you talk about is something trek or not really how well is it done is the more important question so, mm-hmm. for example, last I think it was last week's episode with the time stuff, um, mm-hmm. and we talked about how boring that was. A lot of that was Trek, that was Star Trek, but it was just boring in its execution. Maybe this right. is not Star Trek, but it's certainly a lot more compelling. Sure, and it's we also have to remember that so much of what is quote unquote Trek is, um, you know, we started getting better and better episodes as as we freed ourselves from the shackles of gene's insane uh, requirements yeah so it's like you know is is later tng even trek at all at that point <laughs> you know and i mean so i guess this kind of leads into a question for you okay um or for, or for both of us maybe because i mean you know the the story for this episode it was originally pitched as a conflict between two federation factions you know one kind of in the shadows of the federation right right Yes, uh, but Gene being Gene, he had this, he had trouble grasping the idea that uh, that colleagues could disagree with each other. So, um, so we added aliens to it, of course. Mm. Um, do you think that this episode could have been as good without the aliens, without the parasites? I think a core part of what makes this episode good is the um, the paranoia, and I am have trouble conceptualizing. Um, that kind of paranoia where you are you can't be sure of somebody's intentions just by you know looking at them mm-hmm. and to me if there's like these two factions inside the federation it's more cut and dry it's more obvious on who's on what side mm-hmm. but but also the fact that when you're just having federation officers squaring off against one another they're not going to be capable of something as um unsettling or nefarious as assuming the identity assuming somebody's identity right right and that's part of why this episode parts of it rather are as um uh what's the word i'm looking for i guess creepy as they are is because right, of that right. that sense of of a loss of identity which is uh, a core fear of many people and i think of innately within humans 
Yeah, yeah, and and also the you know the body horror. I think yes, that's um, all certainly is, wouldn't is have been terrifying. Horror. Yeah, yeah, and so we also wouldn't have gotten that amazing final scene. Yeah, um, if not if not for the parasite. So yeah, I think that's a great way to wrap that kind of question up. Is um, they I think they made the right decision as well. And you know, some sometimes Gene's weird, stupid ideas can actually be for the benefit of everyone. Well, a broken uh, clock is right twice a day. <laughs> but if you're gonna sit here and ask yourself, you know, is this track? Well, you know, there you go. There's um, there's a very obvious aspect of it that is quite track, which is that uh, you know we changed it in order to suit Gene's sort of need for not having any kind of. Um, uh, conflict between colleagues, I guess, between you know different people in the Federation, right? And uh, it worked out for the better, so the extreme better. Yeah, good episode. Yeah, solid episode. I think uh, I think it's definitely worth a watch. I guess that'll do it for yeah. our talk on this episode. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have the most uh, exciting question for you today, Mitch. All right, I'll t I'll take a lukewarm question. I'll take a softball. Because yeah. it was it was the only thing I could really think of. Because um, I'm trying to relate them to the episodes, you know. Right. So, um, I guess what I'll ask is, um, you know, we go we get through this episode, and and there's kind of a cliffhanger that never gets resolved right oh right we didn't even talk about that yes we didn't and i guess maybe we should actually just talk about that first <laughs> yeah, so. yeah let's get in on um, that so at the end of the episode they're like oh you know uh remick was sending out a beacon a homing beacon to earth right and like right. Bah, 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 you know is he calling in more parasite reinforcements never talked about again not this season not next season never mm-hmm mm-hmm I think I want to say that it had something to do with like originally was going to be a Borg connection. That's thing, or exactly what, was what I was. Borg. I was just gonna say that. Um, uh, I stole your point. You did. Um, the Borg eat up a lot of space that this threat is trying to occupy, where it's like a distant, yeah, yeah. unexplored region of space. A threat coming from that to Earth. Um, the Borg do exactly that, and uh, you know the Borg also. Now that I'm thinking about it. They have the exact same thing of like, uh, you know, assuming people's identities, of mm -hmm. you know, uh, taking over people in that way, and they have the same kind of hive mind that that an insect would do. They also have a queen, um, just yep. like. Are the Borg just these things again? A reimagining of them? I I think I think they might be because we were. Throughout season one, we were trying to build up, like, who would be the main antagonist, really, throughout the series, right? You know, we had the Ferengi. Right. Um, and then, of course, we had these guys, which... The, the the Parasite thing, I mean, it's kind of an unprecedented conflict in Star Trek, where there's this grand conspiracy, and these things can kind of just destroy the fabric of society uh, so easily, you know? So and and then of course we get the cliffhanger. I I just think as the idea for the 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 big bad guy of of the series evolved to the point that it became the Borg as we know them. Uh, we we couldn't really fit the two together, you know, the parasites mm. and the Borg. So it ended up just being out of necessity. We had to drop them. Yeah, which I'm fine with. I don't 
think you really need to have both of these things. Um, no. It basically, at the end of the day, is it cheaper to have stop motion or to glue a bunch of tubes on the people? <laughs> Paint them white. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I like the Borg more. Same. I think. So um, it all worked out. But uh, yeah, so so we do end on that cliffhanger. Um, and the, the, the plot thread never gets resolved in, in The Next Generation. However... The parasites do appear again. And my question for you is, under cover of which Star Trek title do they appear, and what form of media is it? Good lord. Um, I don't think it's the Explore the Enterprise VR game. Nor, I don't think so either. <laughs> nor do I think it's um, Star Trek Picard. But the fact that you're asking like, what type of media is it makes me think that it's some novel. And really, where else would it appear other than a novel? Or maybe like a, a sound novel. Um, <laughs> so, if you're asking me the title of it, it has to be like something a little more general that is conceivable to guess. Well, so it's it's not it's not the title per se. It's it's uh, you know which Star Trek series. You know, oh, you have the original series. You have gotcha. TNG. So, for example, like a like a TNG novel would be an answer. Exactly. Gotcha. 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 Okay. In that case, it's a little easier. Um, I'm gonna say a Voyager. Um, Voyager. I'm I'm going between novel and comic book. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a vo Smart. a Voyager comic book. Uh, well, that's a good guess. It was actually a Deep Space Nine series of novels. Um, <laughs> a series of novels, huh? A series of novels, <laughs> which I wouldn't have expected you to say. Uh, a novel would have been fine. Um, yeah, it's a series of Deep Space Nine novels where it turns out they're actually bioweapons or something. Oh, okay. Despite their sentience. Right. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't really read enough of the Wikipedia article, but I just thought that was funny. Did they? Did they uh, complete Cisco? I'm sorry. <laughs> did they take over Cisco? Did, did you say did they complete Cisco? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> did they? You know, assume his identity. Did they bring him to the fold? No, I don't think so. Uh. Um. It says, um, it says Christopher Pike is involved. I don't know how. Like the guy he's, he's... who made the original Turnpike? No, 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 no. The other Christopher Pike from Star Trek. The guy who ends up in the in the wheelchair. You know what I mean. Ah, the, the, the director. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, they, they, they all assume the name of Christopher Pike when they're in the wheelchair. <laughs> It's more um, of the chair that's that's uh, the, the, the director. <laughs> it truly is. So many happy accidents. Yes, yes. But uh, yeah. Anyway, I guess I guess that's it. That'll do it for um, this episode of the Readier Room. Uh, make sure that you're checking in every week and checking to see if either Brandon or myself have been taken over by uh, bioweapon parasites. And. If we're not readier, you'll know it's not us. And if you're not readier, we'll know it's not you. So please, everybody, until our next episode, stay ready. Here.
Beginning, 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 beginning. 